0: Good afternoon, I'm Rhonda Feynman, and this is the Healthy Options Program here on WERU Community Radio. Today on Healthy Options, we welcome back Tom Schmelk, forest entomologist with the Maine Forest Service. He's a leader in the effort to tackle the browntail moth problem here in Maine. He also serves as a manager for other invasive insect-related programs. That includes the winter moths, southern pine beetles, and Asian longhorn beetles, which are also causing serious destruction here in Maine. Tom Schmilk earned his master's degree in entomology from the University of Illinois, and he worked for the Bureau of Forest Health with the Department of Environmental Conservation of New York State. He came to Maine in 2018 and began his current position as one of the forest entomologists and was quickly introduced to the brown tail moth. That indeed is the focus of our Healthy Options program today. The problem of the brown tail moth as they expand their range in Maine. We ask, how can we try to contain the spread in our own neighborhoods and communities? And what should we be looking out for? And is there any way to decrease the devastation that the brown tail moth caterpillars can cause to our trees and vegetation? And of course, this is the Healthy Options Program, so we have to learn and talk about how to reduce the harm that this invasive insect can bring to human health. Welcome back to Healthy Options and WERU Community Radio, Tom Schmelk. We're so glad that you're here to bring us up to date on all things brown tail moth right here in Maine. Thanks for having me back. So let's start right at the beginning. What's new? What's different this year for um, brown tail moth here in Maine?
1: So, I actually have some good news for you this time around. Um, so, we did see a uh, marked decrease in the population. Um, in 2021, there was about 200,000 acres of defoliation. And um, in 2022, uh, that dropped down to about 150,000 acres of damage. Um, so we're not out of the woods yet unfortunately um, some areas saw large increases um, but some populations uh, saw large um, decreases
0: that's incredible um, what why what why, why do we think that is what's changed
1: so even though we didn't have a typical uh, normal wet spring particularly in May and June when it's really crucial, um, for dropping down brown tail populations, um, we did have some rain events in May and June. And that's way different than we have the past few years. Um, past few years, May and June have been very dry, and that sort of um, stopped the the two pathogens that really keep brown tail moth in check from spreading around. And those are a uh, fungus and a uh, a virus that attack brown tail.
0: And we had that. Are you saying we had more of that?
1: Yeah, we uh, with those rain events in May and June, um, those two pathogens were able to spread around and proliferate a little bit more um,
0: in those wet conditions. That's that's good news. So where where are we seeing a decrease? You said Kennebunk mostly? Um,
1: yeah, so we saw uh, decreases in three counties in Maine. So in the capital region around Kennebec County, um, we saw a decrease of 92,000 acres, which is awesome. Uh, in Cumberland County, we saw a decrease of 4,900 acres. And then in Sagatahawk County, we saw a decrease of about uh, 2,200 acres. So all that being said, we did um, have three counties that also saw a pretty large increase. Um, the biggest of those being Penobscot County, which saw an increase of 27,000 acres of defoliation. Uh, that's an area that hasn't really been hit very hard. Um, and then Andrew Scott County saw an increase of 8,500 acres, um, particularly bad around that Turner-Leeds area. And then in Waldo County, we saw a population increase of about 8,600 acres. And Waldo County's sort of been pretty hard hit for the past few years, but uh, saw an increase anyway.
0: So is there any explanation? How could that be? Um, the fungus just didn't take root in those areas or... What what do we know? Why would why or do we have any idea of why that would be?
1: Yeah. So if you sort of look at those areas on a map, Penobscot, Androscoggin, and Waldo counties um sort of form a ring around um, you know, the capital region, Kennebec. And so if you remember from a year or two years ago, the capital region was pretty much the hotbed in the state. That's where the highest populations were. Um so those populations in Kennebec County crashed, um, although it's still present in low numbers, um, and then sort of created this uh, ring of peripheral um, populations in those three counties, Penobscot, Androscoggin, and Waldo. Um, So it created sort of a donut effect. And if we do have a typical wet spring in May and June, um, we're likely to see a, a further decrease in those peripheral populations. But if we again have a dry May and June, we're likely to see those peripheral populations sort of fill back in that hole that was left in Kennebec County.
0: So let's just take a moment. All of us who have been living through this for the last number of years, give us a sense again of what happens to uh, to human beings and, you know, when we touch, or if we touch, are in common contact with the brown tail moth. Let's talk a little bit about the health aspects of this, and then let's talk about prevention, which, of course, is always the best medicine. So,
1: yeah. So um, the primary problem with brown tail moth, and the whole reason why it gets a whole lot of attention, is it does pause, uh, pose a human health uh, nuisance. Um, so the caterpillars are covered in these very microscopic hairs that give people sort of a poison ivy like rash so the little tiny hairs are barbed so you're getting a mechanical irritation but they're also hollow and toxins, so you're also getting a chemical irritation in addition to that um so there's it's sort of just like poison ivy um there's some individuals that don't react at all there's some individuals that react very severely but the majority of the population is sort of in the center where it's um really just a uh, sort of an annoying rash that persists a little bit.
0: It's very itchy and painful, that, that rash. It can be very red and blistery. Some people really go into um, a, a kind of allergic, a huge allergic reaction that can be life-threatening. It can get into the lungs. Right, it can it can get in through the nasal passages, so we don't want that to happen, and that's why you're, we have uh, uh, Tom Tom Schmal telling us about how we can prevent any contact with with these particular um, um, insects, these, these particular moths. So we can also talk about uh, what to do when you get uh, that kind of, of kind of rash, but let's uh, let's really focus on prevention here. What what's the, what, what 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 should we be doing?
1: Yeah, so I always say that the first step to management um, is education, and listening to this program is a really good start. Um, so, knowledge is power, and just knowing where brown tail moth is in your yard um, can really help inform your management decisions and help you um, to know what to expect the following season. So one of the things that you can do on a nice, bright, sunny day like it is here in Augusta, um, go out into your own dooryard and stand with the sun to your back and look up at the tops of the trees. And you're going to want to make sure that you pay special attention to uh, stuff like oaks, cherry, elm um, and birches and and also the fruit trees. So uh, any fruit trees and that includes ornamental cherries and crab apples and all that. Those are all preferred hosts of browntail. That's their favorite foods. Um, So pay attention to those species and, again, stand with the sun to your back, and you'll be able to see where those fresh uh, palm-sized webs are. They'll be at the very tips of the branches, and that white silk that composes the web really shines very bright in the sunlight, and you can sort of really tell the difference between fresh webs, old webs, and leaves that just uh, seem to be hanging on the tree
0: so we want to do that now i know it's we're do, we're we're playing this um a little bit later in the season but still there's a good it's still a good time to get out there and and look for these so what do you do when you see them yeah.
1: so like you mentioned there's still a couple of weeks left until the caterpillars start reemerging um so there's still time to go out and clip and remember each one of those palm sized webs has between 25 and 400 caterpillars. So each one that you're able to clip out, um, you'll be doing yourself a world of good. Um, so for low hanging fruit, uh, pun intended on your apple <laughs> tree or your pear tree in your front yard, you can go out. And if you have a, um, set of pole pruners, uh, you can clip the higher webs out or if they're very low and, at, um, uh, chest level, you can sort of reach and flip those out with some hand pruners. So I I see a lot of, the reason why I'm mentioning the fruit trees is because I'm driving around Maine a lot and I see a lot of people that have crab apples or pears or cherry trees in their front yard and they're loaded with brown-toe moth. And I try to stop and pull over when I have time, knock on the door and just let them know um, what they are dealing with. Um, just to sort of increase awareness that way and sort of spread that out to the neighbors. Um, but as far as like, uh, yeah, clipping out the webs is great. Once you clip out the webs, you're going to want to make sure that you definitely destroy them. Um, if you leave them right on the the ground, they'll, they're very good at finding food. They have a really good survival instinct and they'll climb right back on the tree um, come mid-April. So you're going to want to make sure that you take those webs and you can destroy them in one of two ways. Um, You can burn them in your wood stove, or if you have a permit for a burn barrel, uh, that's a good way to destroy them. Um, But if you know that you're very sensitive, you might want to just go the second method, which is basically taking a a bucket of water, adding soap to it, and putting those webs in there for a couple of days. Um, And the reason why we asked to use soapy water Uh, So that silk layer is hydrophobic, meaning that it repels water. So that detergent in the soap helps break down that hydrophobic layer and lets the water in.
0: So are those webs dangerous to touch?
1: Um, Yeah, so it's the hair activity is probably the lowest in the winter. Um, So it's very, very uncommon for people to get a rash from the winter webs. We sort of just recommend that if you know that you're very sensitive, just take precautions, you know, wear gloves, wear long sleeves, just in case um, there are some hairs uh, on the tree from dead caterpillars or shed skins, Uh, that will will definitely save your skin for sure.
0: So there could be leftovers from the last season that you might get in contact with. And so these hairs, it's not like, well, that was last year, we shouldn't worry about it. They really stay active in terms of being toxic and an irritant for a long time, don't they?
1: Yeah. So there's a a few life stages that have those toxic hairs. So there's the caterpillars themselves that have toxic hairs. Um, every time they are growing and shed their skin in order to grow larger, um, those shed skins also have those toxic hairs on them. Um, and then also when they're, um, making the change into the pupil stage, they'll spin a cocoon, Um, And that cocoon is really impregnated with the toxic hairs. So uh, it's always a possibility that there might be some shed skins or or dead caterpillars um, on the branches that those hairs can persist. Um, So not necessarily in the winter, but sort of in the growing season when the caterpillars are out. uh, It's it's sort of it's I would say it's more dangerous when it's hot and dry out. Because those hairs uh, don't really, they, they settle on the leaves and they can become airborne uh, quite rapidly. Um, so you alluded to the toxin being very stable in the environment. So it can last between one to three years. That's typically more in very sheltered areas like, um, you know, under the ease of a house or under a deck, uh, boat trailer, stuff like that. That doesn't get a lot of precipitation um, out in the woods and in your yard areas that get a lot of rain and snow that precipitation helps incorporate those hairs into the soil um, and they become you know much less of a problem
0: so when you when you're saying that you're seeing increases in Waldo and Penobscot County are you seeing it you said you're seeing it on fruit trees but you're also seeing it on on in forests or you're seeing it in people's where people are are you you know you seeing it if someone goes hiking or is this really where we're living in towns yeah, it, or
1: it, it's actually both? Uh, Brown Tomoth does not discriminate between your yard or or your forested um, park. So, like I mentioned, fruit trees are are a favorite host, um, but there's also oak, black cherry, elm, poplar, and birch. Those are all really preferred hosts. Um, so, you know as you're Walking through an oak stand, um, if you're in one of those infested areas, um, going out for a nice spring hike, definitely, you know, take precautions, um, especially as you move into that May and June time window. That's when the caterpillars are a little bit larger. Larger caterpillars have more hairs and they're also um, sort of moving around and looking for food. Um, so they can drop out of the trees, or um you know there they'll be more towards the area that that people are gonna be um recreating in,
0: so what can we do um i we're saying that these these hairs can be toxic for three years. that is actually scary when we think about it <laughs> um in terms of our health. do I know for ticks we talk about permethrin infest uh, you know in uh, clothing and those kinds of um uh, 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 insecticides, I guess. Not insecticides. I don't want to talk about insecticides. We'll we'll have that conversation in a minute. But something that you would spray the, um, I guess not, uh, D10% or something along those lines. Are those effective against these kinds of rashes? Um,
1: not, not necessarily against the caterpillars or the rashes. So one of the things that our technicians or our field crews have found out so there's, a, uh, there's these pre-contact poison ivy wipes. Um, so originally these uh, wipes were basically designed to wipe on your skin and they close your pores and that prevents those poison ivy oils from getting into your pores and, and causing a really bad rash. Well, it's a sort of the same principle with brown tail moth. So um, if you use those pre-contact poison ivy wipes, they will close your pores and it will make it more difficult for the hairs to stick into your skin and, and those pores in your skin. Um, and that can be a very helpful mitigation tactic. If you have to be out, um, you know, in your yard doing stuff, if you're living in a heavily infested area, um, it can be another tool in your arsenal.
0: Yeah. And is that, um, so really wearing long sleeves, right. And, or clothing as well, and then taking that clothing off in addition to the wipes or.
1: Yeah. Um, so again, if you know that you're very, um, uh, sensitive to the brown moth hairs and you're out doing yard work, um, in one of these heavily infested counties or, or areas, you're going to want to make sure that you use, um, take all the precautions and, and use uh, proper PPE. And that can include stuff like, um, a hat, gloves, long sleeves taped at the wrists, um, masks, and, uh, even some people use coveralls, um, just, uh, or or those Tyvek suits that encompass your head um, just to make sure that you're not uh, exposing yourself to hairs. You might look a little bit funny to your neighbors, but that's a lot better than, than getting brown tail rash.
0: If you have just tuned in, by the way, this is the Healthy Options program on WERU Community Radio. I'm Rhonda Feynman. We're talking with Maine Forest Service entomologist Tom Schmelk, who is charged with managing the state's response to the brown tail moth problem. And we're learning always to keep these hairs. These toxic hairs, which are hollow and barbed, off your skin and ways to protect yourself. Now, if you're closing your skin, I don't know how that would deal with perspiration. <laughs> and uh, you know, everything has a trade-off. It sounds like, and I'm wondering if there are other ways to astringe uh, uh, the uh, the skin that would that would be um, a u- useful tool. Um, I know that they can get into your lungs. So you really keeping a mask on, which, um, of course, is a familiar sight these days, um, um, less so than it was, but still uh, not, not as uncommon as it once was, and still valuable uh, for this, this kind of uh, healthcare prevention of, of, um, and very practical for uh, this kind of uh, prevention we've gone in three different directions here. And I want to get back to um, (laughs) some of the, uh, the description of what in fact a brown tail moth looks like and what we know that the uh, describe again, uh, what the, what the webs look like and what we're clipping and um, also describe what it, it, what, what, which, uh, what do the caterpillars look like? What are we talking about?
1: Cool. Yeah. So um, the, these winter webs that the caterpillars um, overwinter in. So right now they're very small caterpillars um, about the size of a a sprinkle. Um, They're all sort of overwintering in this palm-sized winter web. And that winter web will basically be comprised of a number of leaves that are sort of silked together and uh, silked over. So almost always they're gonna be at the very tips of the branches. Um, and they are sort of variable. They can be comprised of um, a ton of leaves, you know, a, a number of leaves, or they can just be comprised of a single leaf that's sort of folded over and silked together, like, sort of like a taco. Um, but by far and large, the the most common um, structure for these webs is those multiple leaves that are sort of silked together. Um, and one of the ways that you can tell these brown toe moth webs between other stuff like uh, our native silk moths that are also occurring on some of these same hosts that are a similar size Um, so in our native silk moths, so cecropia and promethea moths um, the silk that comprises of those species um, little pupil cocoon that's going to turn sort of brown and be sort of a a much duller colored silk Um, also if you think about it it's a single individual um, caterpillar that had pupated in there so it's not going to be a maze of leaves and, and twigs and all that. It's going to be um, more like a coin purse. And it, it's just, again, a single individual large uh, moth that will emerge from there. So um, with brown browntail, uh, like I mentioned before, there can be 25 to 400 caterpillars per web. Um, so each and every single one that you're able to get Ouch. rid of and destroy will be really, really nice Um come you know come may and june so the caterpillars themselves are they're so if you they're sort of a when they're full grown they're sort of a a inch a couple inches long and the most distinguishing features for brown tail moth caterpillars um so towards the tail end they have these two glands that show up as two hunter orange spots Um, and then each body segment is flanked um by these uh sections of, of white hairs um uh, so it's quite a quite a distinguished <laughs> uh caterpillar among some of uh, the, the ones that are native
0: I, I do have to admit i'm itching just by this descri- this description the this is the time of year at healthy options where we do talk about um very creepy things and and and, and, and you've just uh, entered the the realm of creepy here where can we see pictures of this i know we're on a radio show but on um, but i know some people would want to take a look at what what this looks like and where which website would would we uh, refer our listeners to
1: yeah so if you um if you type in browntail moth main forest service that will bring you to our browntail moth page um, that's hosted on the main forest service uh, website and there, so there's a brown tail moth page that has updates on um, different Different things uh, towards the top of that page. There are weekly updates in the growing season that we put out and tell the public what's going on disease-wise, um, and also, you know, what what development stage these caterpillars are at. So that's there. Ton of great resources. You can see, uh, like you said, photos of the different life stages. You can see all of our um, mapping and survey data on there. Um, And then one of the most important things that's on that page is uh, a link to uh, one of our sub pages called the brown moth Frequently Asked Questions page. Um, Really great resource. We've spent a few years developing that and really honing it in. And it's sort of broken up by um, topic. So you can find uh, stuff under management, uh, pesticides, um, biology, everything you would ever want to know about brown-tail is right on that page.
0: So you say a, um, uh, a, a great phrase that you like, which is think first, spray last. Yeah, is, so I'm quoting you. He, like, yes. He brightened up. I, I really, I listened very carefully on that. Yes. <laughs> think first, spray last. Let's talk about what we should be doing. With We're clipping first, right?
1: Yeah. So always clip first. Um, that's sort of the if you can reach them, clipping is the best way to go, um, especially during the winter leaves are off the trees. The webs are highly visible. uh, The hair activity is very low, like I mentioned, um, and you're also not having any uh, non-target side effects. So you're really just getting brown tail moth. You're not really harming anything else. Um, Yeah, so think first spray last is uh, the motto of the main board of pesticide control um, and it's words to live by, honestly. so pesticides should really be a, a last option. Um, you should try to exhaust all all other options before exploring pesticides, but um, they are an option um, and can be quite effective and um, and do the homeowner a, a lot of good. If especially if there's trees that are overhanging a house or a deck uh, in high traffic areas like that.
0: Should you? What else are we using? What what is what are the tactics? Um, we're clipping now. Are you using drones? We talked about this years ago. Uh, how because our trees are so tall um, what 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 how do we get up there to actually manage those kinds of uh, of situations?
1: Yeah, so that's a, the major problem with brown toe moth. Um, so not all the webs are clipable. A lot of people have large mature oak trees in their yards and those like I mentioned are our favorite host um, and it's quite a tall order literally to get up to the top and clip those webs out. Um, so I believe there are four, there are now four registered uh, drone operators in Maine that do brown tail moth work, um, and it can be very effective. Um, you know, we have a, a whole arsenal of of tools to battle brown tail moth, um, and drones are a really good one and, and can fit that niche of, of those tall oak trees, um, you know, especially if the homeowner does not want to go. Uh, And and spray pesticides, especially if they're in a a more sensitive area. Drones are an excellent way to do that. Um, And I should also plug arborists. You can also hire professional licensed arborists to climb trees and clip out those brown tail webs. So drones, arborists, um, and hopefully uh, you, you know, clipping clipping the webs uh, low down. But um, those three things together can really put a dent and brown tail in your yard.
0: Now you mentioned, um, getting the, uh, the webs in water, soapy water. What do you do with the water? What do you do with that after a few days? Um, how to you s- dispose of that kind of situation?
1: Yeah. So since the <clears throat> caterpillars are dead and if you, um, use sort of a, a more natural, uh, dish soap, you can, really just take those webs out um, into a woodlot and sort of just dump them away from the house um, just to make sure that you've, you've got everything, but um, pretty easy disposal, disposal. That's probably the preferred method of disposal for, for that bucket method. Um, but you can also just throw them in the trash, but we're trying to save uh, a lot of organic matter from going to the landfill.
0: so, when you um, clip them, you really do have to get rid of them. You can't leave them on the ground. You were saying earlier, that, describe what could happen and what, mowing your lawn and things like that. Tell us, you know, give us some hints about how to take care of all of that.
1: Yeah. So like I mentioned before, um, even though those caterpillars are very small, uh, especially first thing in the spring when they reemerge from their webs, um, they have a really uh, strong survival instinct. Um, and there's the, that story of the very hungry caterpillar. Well, brown tail moth is that very hungry caterpillar. Um, and they, they will travel together in a mass and climb right back up on the tree. Um, if you don't remove and destroy those webs, um, they, they they're, they're very tenacious for sure.
0: Yeah. What about squishing them or mowing them or.
1: Yeah. So, uh, let's not. Yeah, it's, uh, I probably wouldn't say it's a a preferred method for destroying those webs that are on the ground. Um, so if those of you who have ever tried to, you know, rip one of those brown-tailed moth webs apart with your fingers, that silk silk is very, very tough. Um, and it's also, like I mentioned, sort of like a maze in there. It's a bunch of leaves that are soaked together and the caterpillars are all throughout that matrix in there. Um, so stepping on them, uh, might not be the best solution, um, and I don't know if you people want their their mowers out there first thing. But um, so if you <laughs> were planning on on mowing these uh, clipped webs, um, just be aware that even though the caterpillars are smaller and they have less of those toxic hairs, um, they still have some of those toxic hairs, and you don't want to be blowing that stuff out into the yard and into the air. Uh, which also brings me to another point. So later on in the season, uh, May and June, you're gonna wanna make sure that you, especially if it's hot and dry and you live in one of those infested areas, you're gonna wanna make sure that you are not uh, using the leaf blower at all. Uh, so that is a really horrible way to, to get brown-tailed moth hairs up into the air um, and onto your skin. So try to avoid that when possible. Um, another going with that uh, yard power tool theme, um, when you are mowing your yard in that May June time period, you're going to want to make sure that you mow it when the grass is still wet. So when there's dew on it in the morning, or um, the day after, uh, a day after it has rained. Um, I know it really sucks mowing wet grass, but it sucks getting brown moth on your neck even more. Uh, so just a couple of, of yard tips.
0: Yes, that was uh, you anticipated my question about leaf blowers this is uh, another reason not to use them. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. uh, That was an editorial comment. I I take full responsibility. (laughs) Um, Right. Wear your earplugs for sure. (laughs) Ear protection. But another reason, because you can be blowing those, they can be hiding those uh, in, in, in the uh, leaves that have fallen, especially for many of us who keep the leaves over the winter. We, um, as a way of, um, of, protecting our uh, the garden there uh, and we start cleaning the early spring cleanups you might find things you might not realize are are living in the um, living in that leaf litter if you just tuned in by the way this is the healthy options program on weru community radio I'm Rhonda Feynman, and our guest is Tom Schmelk, Forest Entomologist with the Maine Forest Service. And he's heading up the program dealing with the brown tail moth invasion that's happening here in Maine. So when when you are finding these areas, are, are when you're knocking on doors, are people responsive? Are people aware? Or, or you know what's your what's the response you're getting when you're educating and actually knocking on people's doors because you see their fruit trees full of um full of uh, of uh, the brown tail moth webs.
1: Yeah, so generally those people with the fruit trees that are have are loaded with brown tail moth webs. Um, some of them are aware of brown tail moth in general, um, but they it's sort of like you know I I never thought it would be in my backyard or you know, it's sort of there's a little bit of denial there. Um, so some of them are definitely aware of brown tail moth in general, but not necessarily, you know, that that those shiny things on their front fruit tree in the front yard are those brown toe moth webs. Um, and then of course there are some people that have never even heard of brown tell moth. Um so we do a lot of outreach. We do a lot of radio interviews, TV interviews, um, and and for the newspaper and we try to get the word out as much as possible, but unfortunately it doesn't reach everybody. Um, so we're trying to, we're really trying to um, sort of knock on those doors when we can and, and get the word out.
0: So really doing those clipping and really um, getting rid of the, the, uh the 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 nests as it were that's really re- a, w- another way of reducing not only t- for our public uh, health and our skin and 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 uh, respiratory system but also t- it's it's another way of, of helping reduce the um the population cuz once they're gone they're gone or are they
1: yeah so clipping clipping is a great way to to reduce the population in your yard um so there's sort of a number of of things you know people can do but just remember that um, so no matter what you do whether it's clipping or spraying or even removing the tree um, all of those mitigation actions are pretty much just to stop people from coming in contact with the hairs it's not necessarily about tree health um, which is, is sort of a major point you know spraying we're never going to spray our way out of this. Um, it's, it's, and you know, whatever mitigation efforts that you do in your yard aren't necessarily going to eradicate it from the area, but they will, um, be effective in sort of mitigating you coming in contact with those hairs and getting a rash come May and June, uh, which is also really important. Um, so that being said, those, all these mitigation strategies, just focusing on people, uh, Preventing people from coming into contact with the hairs, um, that means that you should be focusing any treatment, whether again clipping or uh, pesticide treatments, focus those treatments on trees that are in high traffic areas. So tre- trees that are overhanging your house, your deck, your driveway, stuff like that. That you're, you know, you'll be active in your yard um, under those trees. Those are the trees that you want to um, focus those mitigation methods on. A lot of people call and ask about um, their woodlot or the trees that are, you know, farther away from their house uh, on the edge of the woods. And although they might host a lot of brown tail, treating those trees is unfeasible from a variety of standpoints. Economically can be prohibitive, um, logistically getting trucks and equipment and, and stuff back there to, to treat the trees that are in the woods not super feasible, um, and then also environmentally not super feasible. Um, Remember, brown moth is just one species that feeds on on these trees. Uh, Oaks host a very wide range of native caterpillars that rely on them, Uh, not to mention all the other insects and and creatures that rely on these oak trees. So um, like you mentioned before, think first, spray last, Um, just focus treatment on trees that are right around your house and they and they will give you some relief come may and june
0: so do you i've heard about something about plugs what what are these plugs that is that useful what what are they people
1: yeah so um, probably three quarters of the calls that we get the main forest service um have to do something with uh injections or at least the the ones brown tower related have to do with tree injections uh, so tree injections uh, is one of the pesticide options. Um, it has its pluses and minuses. Um, but one of the good things about these injections are that they're more targeted. So if you are trying to treat some large oak trees that are right on the the shore of a pond or a lake or even the ocean, um, that's more targeted. You're not going to get any overspray um, with those. those the
0: chemicals. Injections. They're chemicals yeah. then yeah and and, yeah go ahead so
1: one of the things so there's a couple of different active ingredients that that uh people can can use in those injections um and they can be done by a homeowner although i usually stress to follow the instructions word for word um and more pesticides does not mean more effective um so they're if there can be a lot of user error if those instructions aren't followed to the T. Um, so I, I sort of caution people, um, when they're going to be doing their own applications.
0: So those are chemicals. I know in here at healthy options, we are always looking for ways that n- not to have to use chemicals. So some of the other, the other aspects, uh, with the, the clipping and, um, yeah the the and really just doing that preventative work is so is so important. What happens if if you've missed some and now you see these caterpillars running around what do they damage the trees? I mean we know that they they eat the leaves but you know you don't have to cut the tree down, do you?
1: Yeah, so typically we do not recommend um post-tree removal. So I always say that it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um, and typically we only recommend tree removal if it, the tree is in poor health or if you were going to take it down anyway. Um, those are, are good candidates for, for brown tail mitigation by removal. Um, yes, we, we love our trees at the Maine Forest Service. They, they're they a good job security for sure. And uh, <laughs> they make life a, a whole lot better. So um, yeah, try not to cut every single tree down in your yard uh, just to spite brown tail moth. Um, and if you do have to take a tree down, you know, host tree planting is, is one important, uh, another important tool in mitigating brown tail moth. And planting uh, tree species that's not a host for brown tail moth um, is is a really good way to start. So, you know, pretty much staying away from some of those species that I mentioned, oak, cherry. Elm, poplar, birch, um, and any fruit trees. Those are by far and large the most preferred hosts. Um, they can occur in maple, but it's a much less uh, common. And usually, it's only when there's spillover from a lot of the oaks that are really heavily infested. Um, but yeah, uh, planting planting a non-host tree can can be a really great strategy. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much.
0: It. So the tree will recover is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, so a lot of trees, uh, especially oaks, they can survive a few years of defoliation in a row. Um, Typically, we don't see a whole lot of um, death caused by just brown tail moth. Typically, it's brown tail moth and another species that's also consuming the leaves of that oak tree. So along the coast, we have another invasive um, moth called winter moth that eats oaks and maples. As well as many other things and then we also have spongy moth um which is uh, many many of your listeners might know it as gypsy moth um it has a new common name so spongy moth is also a, a very prolific defoliator of of oak trees that's its preferred host um they're actually uh spongy moth and brown to moth are actually closely related they're in the same family um so yeah it's it's usually brown tail and one of those other species defaulting in it or an external factor like the, the drought-like conditions that we've had the past few years. Those really do put a hurting uh, on the oaks, especially in areas that have a low depth to bedrock. Um, those soils don't re- usually retain a whole lot of moisture and Maine's rocky coast is full of those types of soils
0: along the coast. Absolutely. So, those are invasive species aren't they brown tail moth is invasive it came from somewhere yeah. else yeah that's not, what i mean it, native, was in, so. it was it was not native it was in, yeah, in, yeah. right that's it not native and and the spongy moth as well introduced when i say invasive it was introduced
1: yeah so all all three of those species are originally native to europe um and so brown so in uh, 1869 spongy moth formerly known as gypsy moth was brought over to the u.s intentionally to create a uh, u.s silk industry um by this Frenchmen called um i think it was lr Trulavo uh, but anyway trulaveau brought these over um and they escaped his cultivation and and spongy moth is probably the worst defoliating pest that we have here in the u.s and it's still marching uh westward from that 1869 uh introduction but brown toe moth is a newer kid on the block but uh by no means a, a new new problem so uh, brown tail moth was accidentally introduced into uh summerfield or somerville massachusetts um in 1897 on some rose bushes that's sort of the story that i always hear uh, and it's been a, a established in maine since 1904 so well over a hundred years here in maine um and we have not seen the the last of it
0: no are some of these other uh, species? Uh, irritants for, for health, for public health, for the skin and for the respiratory system.
1: Yeah, not so much with, uh, winter moth, uh, winter moth caterpillars are sort of like a little green hairless inchworm. Um, so that's great, great from that human health standpoint. Uh, but spongy moth caterpillars are, are hairy. Uh, they, I wouldn't say that they're, brown toe moth is probably the, one of the most irritating hair, haired caterpillars that we have. Uh, but spongy moth can cause, I have heard of the caterpillars causing irritation uh, in certain sensitive individuals. And um, there are many hairy caterpillars here in the Northeast, and um, some do, like hickory tussock moth, which is one of our natives. Um, that is more frequently causes human rashes. But uh, like I mentioned before, certain individuals are just very sensitive to to foreign hairs, foreign substances, stuff like that. Um, and maybe this is a good time to bring up. So uh, the adult moths, um, which will be out in July uh, for brown tail moth, they're white and they have a brown abdomen. That's why they're called brown tail moth. And the adult moths do not have those toxic hairs that the caterpillars have. Um, If you look at them under a scope, they're just regular hairs, not barbed, not hollow, um, or anything like that. But I do get a few reports every year of, people you know pressure washing the moths off the side of their house the moths uh you know might land on them and they get a rash that way Um, and those individuals are are just more likely sensitive to foreign hairs so again those adult uh adult moths you don't have to worry about the, the toxic hairs as far as they go
0: you said that they um that you can find them under the eaves of houses. How do they get there or under, under boats? Um, if they live in the trees, how, what, what's going on with the houses and the eaves and, and uh car, you know, wheel wells and things like that. How? What's, what's that? How does that fit into their life cycle?
1: Yeah. So when the caterpillars um, grow a little bit larger, uh, particularly around the end of May and then throughout June, uh, they're going to become less gregarious, so they're not going to um, feed with their brothers and sisters on their <laughs> the tree that they were born. They're going to wander around and they're looking for um, new places, new food sources. But also they're trying to escape some of the predation that happens with some of these parasitic flies and wasps. A lot of those parasitic flies and wasps will key in on the damage that's occurring to the trees um, by by sensing those volatiles that are coming off the the damaged leaves um and they'll they'll sort of target that and they'll parasitize those caterpillars that are are you know prevalent around that defoliation that's why many caterpillar species you'll see the damage but you won't see any caterpillar um it's sort of an evolutionary strategy for the caterpillar to move away from that damaged foliage so that it is not parasitized and that's sort of a, a general thing with caterpillars which is pretty neat but um yeah, so they're looking for new food. They're looking to escape some of their predators. Um, and they're, they'll be wandering around, you know, towards the end of May, Memorial Day. They are crawling up people's houses. Um, and this is a good good time to plug one of the, the other mitigation strategies. So if you have uh, caterpillars crawling up your house and you have a wet, dry shot back, put a couple of inches of soapy water in the bottom, make sure it's got a good HEPA filter on it, and you can vacuum those caterpillars off the side of your house. Um, the HEPA filter will prevent those hairs from becoming airborne um, out the the other side of the vacuum. And then the, the soapy water in the bottom will, one, kill the caterpillars, but also uh, pr- prevent those hairs from, again, becoming airborne, which is great. So uh, towards the, the end of June, when the c- caterpillars are, you know, full size they're going to be looking to turn into pupa they're looking for a nice sheltered place to do that sometimes they'll do it right on the trees um, but they're also looking for uh, any sheltered area so under the eaves of your house um, wheel wells of cars that haven't moved in a while campers boat trailers rvs stuff like that and that's one of the ways that they can hitchhike so in that may to june time period uh the caterpillars are very very good at hitchhiking um one common place that they sort of Gather is around the trunk seal of of the trunk of your car. Um, so make sure that you're not moving them that way. Um, they they are extremely good hitchhikers and and will hitch ride right on anything.
0: Yes, uh, a, a friend who is an arborist talks about how he'll come from a job and and in the wheel wells of the truck he'll have to deal with them falling falling off into his yard and then he has to deal with them and at, at home, <laughs> right. He has to deal with them uh, because they did hitchhike. What Um, a, a couple of things. So when they become the moths and they, they now they've, they aren't, are they looking for mates at that point? And what about lights and, and what attracts them and how do we, you know, keep that cycle from happening if you've missed the clipping part?
1: Yeah. So they'll, um, at the end of June uh, they'll they'll pupate and then spend a couple of weeks as pupa and then the adult moths emerge and they are like you mentioned looking for love so <laughs> every year on social media I always get these people posting this um, bucket <laughs> with all these moths in it and a, a light you know a light source or a bug zapper or something like that so and they're like look at how many moths I've killed and and it sort of mm. spreads like wildfire so Both both sexes are attracted to light, although it's the males that come directly to the light. The females are also attracted, but they sort of hang out in the host foliage outside of the reach of the light. Um, And unfortunately for us guys, we don't matter too much biologically. It's really the females that keep the population propped up. Um, So you can kill many, many of these male moths and you're not really going to put a big dent in the population. In fact, you will be drawing them to your yard. So we typically recommend that Um, people keep their lights off, uh, in July and the first part of August, just to prevent people, uh, or prevent those moths from, uh, being attracted to your yard. Um, almost always these, these people that have been running these light traps, uh, will call me and, uh, in November, once the leaves are off the trees and those trees that are surrounding the area where they have that light trap bucket are, are really infested, um, which is not a good thing. Uh, also, another note, a lot of people use, like, using those bug zappers, so those bug zappers can have another uh, negative effect, and a lot of these flies and wasps that do parasitize brown tail moth caterpillars and pupa, um, a lot of those are attracted to to UV light, stuff like that's emitted from a bug zapper, so unfortunately, it's a two-fold thing. You're both attracting brown tail to your yard, and you're also killing off some of your biocontrol agents.
0: So keep your lights off in July and August. A little bit of business here. This is Healthy Options. And if you've just tuned in, we're uh, discussing browntail moth, how to keep them uh, at bay, we hope, and how to protect your own self because they are very toxic. And we're talking with Nate with Maine Forest Service entomologist Tom Schmelk, and who is charged with managing the state's response to brown tail moths. So what can you can confuse a, a caterpillar with? What what do they look like? Or are they so unique that we don't have a problem confusing them with something else?
1: Yeah, so um, they're pretty pretty unique, but we do have a lot of fuzzy caterpillars up here in the Northeast, um, so they can be confused for spongy moth caterpillars um, just because they're a similar size and, and also hairy, but um, those spongy moth caterpillars are going to have, um, I believe it's uh, six pairs of red dots and and five pairs of blue dots on them. Um, brown tail moth caterpillars are just going to have those two orange dots and those uh each body segment it's going to be flanked by those those white markings um probably one of the things that's the most similar to brown tail but is native um so it's a white marked tussock moth so that's one of our native species very fuzzy caterpillar if you look at it, it sort of looks like dr seuss's toothbrush um very <laughs> weird looking caterpillar but that also has two orange dots towards the tail end um but it it if you look at look at them side by side they almost look nothing alike um this the white mark tussock moth is you know very uh very hairy large tufts of of these white um white hairs and, and brown tail moth is going to be sort of a darker color it's really just those two orange spots that they have in common
0: so the hairs are different
1: yep hair, hairs are very different
0: one is in tufts and the other, but the brown tail is, is just more thinner or how would yeah. you describe that?
1: Well, so brown tail in general is going to be overall sort of a um, brownish color. And with, with those white markings on each body segment and those two orange dots, um, except with that white marked tussock moth, um, it's going to be mostly like a white, whitish, yellowish caterpillar overall, uh, with those two orange dots and, and again like those really insane tops of fur
0: and you can see pictures of that what what's that website again of people who just tuned in and we'll have this all on the archives as well but where yeah, people like- can see the pictures and you did another talk I, if i saw uh, about this year so that's on there as well tell me which website
1: yeah so um if you go to the main forest service website and you type in brown moth that will bring you to our our main uh brown tail moth page you can see pictures of the life cycles you can see recorded talks a lot of our uh, survey data and maps um, as well as updates on all things happening with brown tail moth so during the growing season we um, will post these um, these developmental updates to make sure that the public and our shareholders are you know engaged and knowing what is going on with franto moth out in the field.
0: You know, um, we'll we'll have to, we we have a few minutes left, so um, we're distinguishing between all these other moths. Um, When we're clipping, you know, what's what's beneficial? What moths are beneficial? What do we want to keep around our, our yards? I'd say
1: pretty much everything, but the uh, the the non-native invasives, um, and we have a, a really large diversity of caterpillars um, here in the Northeast, both butterfly and moth caterpillars. Um, actually, one thing for your uh, for your listeners to check out is uh, something called the Caterpillar Lab, and they really uh, go into depth about some of the species that we have in here in uh, in the Northeast. Um, and they are, are very fascinating you, (laughs) you wouldn't think that caterpillars are are so fascinating, but they have many very, uh, interesting, intricate life histories that, um, this caterpillar lab sort of, you know, brings out and, uh, and shows with really high quality photographs and, um, some really fun content.
0: Yes. And, and it will all become entomologists, Yes. The, the citizen entomologists. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> yes, exactly. Right. So what we're, we're supposed to be doing right now, we're clipping, we're putting them in soapy water, right? The, those uh, let's, uh, let's review what, um, what, what we should be doing now and what should we, we should be doing later um, to keep ourselves protected and to uh, help out as our, uh, uh, you know, senior uh, volunteer entomology um uh, task should you choose to accept get this, uh, this mission?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like two major points for this time of year, get out and clip anything, any low hanging webs, uh, check your fruit trees in your front yard. Um, that is very, very important, but also just getting out on a nice bright sunny day and looking at your yard and surveying your yard um, and standing with the sun to your back. Um, that will sort of tell you where, the brown moth is in which trees um and in what quantity and that will help inform your management decisions um come spring
0: so you want to work with an arborist as well um if for some of the higher higher uh higher um webs that you're not going to be able to reach definitely yeah,
1: definitely so we have a, a again on that main forest service brown moth page we have a list of licensed arborists that are willing to do brown tail work um And also a list of uh, licensed pesticide applicators, if you do choose to go the um, the chemical route. Um, But both of those lists are are available right on that website. And it's uh, people that companies that are willing to do that brown tail work. um, And it sort of breaks it down by uh, what areas they serve and, and what services they offer.
0: So and as a as a human being not needing to um, (laughs) avoid those hairs. So some of the the poison ivy wipes, which will close the skin, but wearing long, long sleeves and some of those Tyvek suits do not mow, do not mow the uh, caterpillar uh, nests. Do not do that. Wear a mask, wear long sleeves, mow when it's wet. Keep the lights off. And I, I, I think that's so important um, in j- July, uh, July and August, did you say, or later in the in the season? It's also wonderful for um, for the dark sky because we do want to keep that um, uh, and keep healthy in these uh, in these other ways as well, which is uh, we can have another show on light pollution. But right now that uh, this is a good opportunity to uh, for, for multiple reasons to keep your lights off. And anything else that we should uh, we should know, we'll we'll uh, have some websites listed. And I think we are just getting out of time here. Um, once again, we could con- continue on, and we'll have to have you back next year. Um, if I uh, just want to let everyone know that our guest today on Healthy Options has been Tom Schmalk, Forest Entomologist with the Maine Forest Service. Thank you so much again for being here with us today, and for the important work you're doing. On all of our behalfs, and also for the caterpillars, <laughs> the good caterpillars, to help save uh, save all of the um, all of the things that we need to be uh, to nourishing here in in Maine. A lot of information about brown tail moths and other invasive insects can be found at the Maine Forest forest service website and at maine.gov there's also an excellent presentation about brown tail moths with tom Schmelk at the website for maine.gov i think it was a uh, knockout btm brown tail moths now you did that in february and it's definitely worth uh, checking out we will have a link to that and when the show is posted on the public affairs archives Uh, for this Healthy Options program at WERU.org. And you can hear previous Healthy Options podcasts when you get the WERU app. So we encourage everyone to do that. Thanks to Joel Mann and Amy Brown of WERU for engineering support. Thanks to Petra Hall for production assistance. And as always, always, thanks to all of our WERU listeners and supporters. This is Rhonda Feynman wishing you the best in health.